Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. Hey listeners, this is a bonus episode. In October, I was a guest on Ned Belavance's podcast, Anexapod. We talked about one of my favorite subjects, how data is essential to driving better customer experiences. In fact, I would argue that the companies that don't leverage their data are next in line to end up in the dusty file cabinet of history. Note, hey millennials, this is where you store things called paper. Look it up on the internet. Let me know what you find. Anyway, I thought you would enjoy this episode. And check out Ned's podcast, Anexipod. That's A-N-E-X-I-P-O-D. So without any further ado... Let's dig in. So uh, before we discuss the topic of the day, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into IT? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think I'm like a lot of other people in this field. I, I took a bit of a uh, circuitous uh, route. As I, I actually started off studying uh, science. I was, in, uh, I was in physics and working, doing uh, work for my um, graduate degree in a lab, and then I, I realized that I liked the programming much better than I liked doing the uh, doing the experiments and reading research um, papers. So long story short, I actually switched over to computer science and then, uh, you know, arrived just in time to watch the dot-com boom explode in 2001. <laughs> so that was fun. Sure. Uh, and uh, and basically did consulting for a few years. I actually, I, I always like to say that I did DevOps before DevOps was cool. Um, you know, we... <laughs> We were we were trying to scale things. Um, I was actually lived in D.C. and did a lot of work for the the government, helping them, you know, figuring out these things early on, and then ended up moving into software in the mid 2000s and haven't looked back. I um, I've been working at software companies off and on for um, I guess that's the last um, you know almost 15 years. Wow, wow! So the whole dot com boom, you you were part of that, and ooh, government work that's always interesting. Are you allowed to talk about any of it, or uh, or? Did, would they come out and, and get you and take you away in the black helicopters? <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to kill you, right? <laughs> uh, n- <laughs> no, well, I I did I did some work for um, uh, the the U.S. Army at Army Knowledge Online, which was a which was a great experience because early early on in the 2000s, there, you know, the federal government was trying to, you know, really move strongly and and use the internet to you know service you know taxpayers and service the uh, you know military uh, members and their family and. And so uh, back then, uh, the Army Knowledge Online was, you know, one of the largest uh, email services in the world because, you know, the, the U.S. Army has, I mean, when you count up all the family members and veterans and all these kind of things, you, you had well over a million people that would potentially want to get to this, you know, um, Internet service. And so we were, we were kind of cutting edge for the time. I think, I mean, still they're, they're doing a lot of things over there that are, that are um, cutting edge um, in that realm. And, you know, we were... I think Yahoo was the only email service where that kind of dates it, but it was the only um, email service that was bigger. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. Um, you know, actually worked in the underground bunker for a few years setting up wow. the data center. That was, that was a lot of fun. Cool. All right. So today we want to talk a little bit about customer experience and also machine data. So uh, let's start out with just sort of defining those concepts a little bit. So when we talk about discuster, discussing customer experience, what sort of elements make up customer experience? You know, it's a good good question, and I, I think this has actually been changing over time. You know, we we've always had a concept of you know delivering a good experience for your customers. I mean, 
way before the internet, um, you know, way before modern, you know, retail. It was, you know, there's always been a concept, particularly in, in uh, uh, you know, in the U.S. more recently, that you know, you you would win customers by treating them well and by delivering value to them. So on some level, at a high level, it's really just how how much do you understand about how your customers are experiencing your product, whatever that is, and 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 how do you how do you measure that in the you know, in the internet age, that has become a lot around, uh, you know, that kind of end-to-end -end experience. You know, are you, do you understand how your customers experience the the product and the service that you're giving them? Do you, do you understand how they're experiencing your, your your sales team? How they're experiencing the the purchase process? How they're experiencing the support process? A lot of those things all fold in, but, you know, typically I think particularly today, the the pain points are a lot of times around the. You know, when someone's actually coming to you to actually use you use your service or buy something for you, whatever it is, how's that experience? Are you actually turning them off? Are you attracting them to stay with you? Right. I think of the meme, "Shut up and take my money." It's like know when your customer's <laughs> ready to spend and make it as frictionless as possible for them to spend money with you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's interesting if you go back to pre-internet days and you think about like customer service. Maybe you'd go into uh, a corner shop to buy some milk or something, and that customer experience would mm -hmm. be you talking to the clerk and them giving you what is hopefully a good bottle of milk, but then they don't have any knowledge or analytics around how good was the milk, how was your buying experience, how did you enjoy the milk when you got home, what did you make with it, like unless the person happened to ask you yeah. all those questions, but you know, I think that really changes with the internet when there's so many more data points. Um, and then the other thing that we were going to talk a little bit uh, about was machine data. So if, if you just want to lay down uh, sort of a, a loose definition for what you mean uh, when you say machine data. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, and, and um, you know, even going back to what you're a little talking about, I, I think there's a there's kind of a continuum here that I, I think we, you know, as everyone is, we, we tend to be more. Uh, inclined towards you know our modern perspective and what we've done, but I'm, I've always been a history buff, and it, 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 what's what's interesting is that there's been various different versions of this. You know, back in the late 19th century, you had um, the Sears Robot catalog started up. You um, you had other lots of other um, companies that were saying, okay, well, you know, back then if you were not in a city, you only had one store that you could buy stuff from. And so they figured that they could disrupt that by actually shipping these catalogs out to people. And I mean, it was crazy. In the Sears Roadbook catalog, you could actually order a house. You could order <laughs> a, a wagon. Uh, you, you could order just about anything. And, and what, what was interesting is they pioneered that. Um, they pioneered, you know, um, ad sales. They pioneered, you know, a lot of marketing about marketing specific things. You know, we did, there weren't all the protections back then, so they would claim, you know, everything from curing cancer to you know making you smarter or whatever it was but sure. you know, they 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 uh they really experimented with getting directly to the consumer and that has that has changed over time because then you moved you moved from that to you know department stores you know a late 19th century early 20th century you know you move from that into malls in the 50s and 60s you know and you know uh, later than that, about you know, bringing people, and all this was about, I, I think, was about trying to get more to the customer at a lower cost and, and, and compete. And so, so, to me, what the internet did is it just, it just um, you know, focused that and gave a new platform for that. So when you had Amazon come into that realm, where you know, for example, 
like book sales were being dominated by uh, you know, Barnes and Noble and Borders. I don't know if people still remember that, but uh, yeah. you know, you you had these big. And what were they doing? They were reducing their costs, and they were they were getting stuff at lower cost and 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 delivering the experience to their customers. And then Amazon came along and said, you know what, we can actually do this even lower cost, even um, at even greater scale through the internet. So so really, it's just we're we're repeating a lot of the same things. But now what the internet has done is made. I would just, at least in my mind, I feel like Amazon or, or Walmart.com or something like these were just different versions of the Sears and Robot catalog from you know, the, you know, late 1800s. It's just, it's the same concept. It's just being delivered at scale, and in real time. And I, I think that if we didn't bring back to your other question about you know machine data, so so really, machine data is just. It, it's the data, like one of the definitions I like to talk about is like it's the data exhaust of all your stuff, of all your, <laughs> your, your applications, your devices, and all these different devices and applications and, you know, your, the, the cloud, you know, quote, unquote, <laughs> are generating all this data, right? And, uh, and, and it's, it's absolutely crazy how much data it's generating. It's, it's, it's really changed, you know, since we were, you know, talking how I started out, you know, in 2000. Uh, you know, three, I remember we were just super excited with ourselves when we were buying EMC storage, and that's when NetApp first started, which, you know, they're kind of Star Wars now, but, you know, we were super excited that we had 70 terabytes of storage, and that was a big deal back then. You know, yeah. now um, we use this statistic at, at Sumo Logic where it's um, from Barclays, uh, I think it was by 2020, if I'm right, but it was going to be 16 zettabytes of uh, machine data was going to be produced. And that's the equivalent. And this is what just blow your mind. Like, nobody knows what a zettabyte is. Right. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. But, but that's the equivalent of watching the Netflix catalog 30 million times. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Wow. And so, so, so really, the, the, the question in this modern age is, like, how people are going to how people are going to use that data. Is, you know, when the guys were producing catalogs, they – they only knew, like to your point, they only knew how you were, how you were doing if you wrote them a letter, or you know you did an op-ed and said, hey, it, it <laughs> right. sucks. But you know now you've got this real-time data from your customers. Are you actually going to use that to improve your service, or are you actually just going to um, ignore it? Yeah, I think one of the things I want to pick apart uh, a little bit there is the idea that you know AWS came in and said. Hey, brick and mortar stores, that's nice, but we're going to make this bigger. We're going to scale out and we're going to compete on cost. That's our primary mm -hmm. cost and convenience. That's our differentiator. And they were able to do that and build uh, what is almost a trillion dollar business uh, in terms of market yeah. cap, right? I, I think they briefly crested over a trillion dollars for like a day and then dropped back below. But um, but it's really big. <laughs> yeah, really big. Um, but then you have, I mean, the barrier to entry for digital services is very low. Like anybody can spin up a website and start doing, you know, some level of e-commerce. So customers can be saturated with options and it's easy to go with the commodity option like AWS. But like, how does a company keep and acquire new customers when they can't compete at the global scale of AWS? You know that's a that's a great question because I, I and I think that's the key because if you view Amazon just in that you know in that sequence of of uh, you know of, of retailers and you know with these big companies you know Walmart did that to you know all the all the retailers what did retailers have to do when Walmart came into town you know a lot of them if they were just the uh, you know the local hardware store that was basically selling everything 
more expensive than you would buy in uh, the Walmart, they weren't going to survive. And a lot of those stores would go out of business. Or, you know, if you, when Best Buy came into town, you know, it'd be, uh, you know, I'm the local computer repair shop. Well, you 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 have a 20% markup from from Best Buy. And so, like, why would I go to you? So what did a lot of those stores do? You know, a lot of these small towns would revitalize by specializing and providing a better experience. You know, why now would you go into the downtown? You because know, I'm from the southeast, and a lot of these, you know, southeastern towns, a lot of the local mom-and-pop retailers got put out of business by Walmart. But what happened was is that the towns that succeeded is they said, okay, I'm going to do a store that's very specific. It's like I'm. this is a store about, you know, um, olive oil store. I remember that was a, when it first, like, really hit me. I went into a store, and the entire store was olive oil. <laughs> you know, that would have been inconceivable in the 80s when I grew up, right? But right. that's the age we're in now is that that's how you compete is you're providing a different experience. So I think that's – the same formula now applies in the internet age and you know and it's where where we're living now is that i don't think you you don't compete based on your ability to you know run microservices or run containers or you know run these you know fancy whatever fancy technical term it is you're you're using now the running those at scale because the reality you can run a craft service at scale and you're still going to lose customers the question now is how are you combining that with good old customer experience, actually treating your, your, your customers well. And that's why I think you see now that Amazon and Microsoft and Google and Apple are switching from just pure scale. And now what are they investing in? They're investing in artificial intelligence. They're investing in machine learning. They're investing in like all these, you know, text-to-speech and speech-to-text. And why are they doing that? They're trying to get closer to you and trying to tie tighter with you to connect you tighter to their brand. So they, they want now you to, you know, and, and Apple has been a good example of that, is they want you to be tied to their, to their, to their, to their brand. So I, I think that's where the customer experience angle comes in. Is like how do you, if you want to compete against an Amazon or Walmart or, you know, a Google, whatever it is, you have to provide a differentiated experience. And it, it's assumed that it's going to be at scale. It's assumed that it's going to be on my mobile phone. It's assumed that it's going to be 24-7. That's the table stakes now. It's like, how are you going to deliver personalization at scale? Like, how are you going to make me feel special? Uh, and, and to give you, give you a perfect example of this from my own personal experience, so, so I'm a musician, and I, you know, I, I started recently buying a few, you know, kind of audio musical things online, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Amazon fan, so that, of course, that was the first place I, I went, whether that was the right, to, you know, decision or not, and, and, and honestly, Amazon did not do well at that. It, they, they rely on third-party providers, and it did, it did not deliver a great experience. They actually shipped something, um, and the box was all messed up, and actually, like, this, like, microphone stand was broken, hmm. and, and I tried this other retailer, um, place called uh, it's called Sweetwater which is kind of new one but they, they it was a personalized experience yeah it was and, and they're much smaller but they won my business because I'm paying a little bit more than Amazon but I know that they're taking care of me they ask me questions I actually ordered a guitar and then went back in I'm like ah crap like I told my wife what I ordered and she's like you don't want that that's an ugly color and I'm like you're right so I went in and called them back, and they're like, no problem. Let me talk you through it. Think about it. And that's the kind of thing that people are, are expecting. You know, that's how you're going to win is by providing that kind of experience. But to do that, you have to understand your customers, which is where the machine data comes in, because you have to be able to use that data to understand your customers. Right, absolutely. The, the reason I laughed about the Sweetwater thing is because that's where I actually ordered all of the audio equipment for our studio. 
<laughs> and it was, it was very similar reasons, right? It was that customized experience. I had questions about the mic preamp that I wasn't sure about. And, uh, you know, they were able to, like, jump on chat and help me through the process. Um, same thing, like, when I went to go buy my car stereo, I could have bought my new car stereo through, uh, you know, Amazon. But instead, I chose to buy it through another site called Crutchfield. And that's because mm -hmm. same tailored experience to someone who's trying to buy a car stereo and wants to make sure it fits, that it's all the right parts, that I'm not going to get like halfway through the installation and go, oh man, I don't have this part. And now my car is like lying in pieces and I need to wait two days for it to ship, you know, is and now they send me, you know, some some messages and stuff, but I think they could be doing a better job. And a lot of that is collecting the reams of interesting data out there and then some external data sources and creating insights and opportunities to, you know, engage with me. Um, you mentioned mm -hmm. the store selling olive oil. And uh, the phrase that I've heard is that data is the new oil. Um, mm -hmm. And just like oil, uh, raw data is only really good for making a mess. So that data <laughs> that's being collected, that needs to be refined like oil, right? Yeah. So how do you see analytics helping companies be more competitive in this new digital economy? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point because I think when you looked at the early the early part of the internet age and, you know, when, when these companies were coming up and, you know, when, when big data really started becoming, uh, you know, a thing, it, it was all about structured data. And what I mean by that is that people were spending time to, to pre-structure the data and think about it and, and, uh, you know, get into a certain structure. But the problem was that it took too long. And so to your exact point there, like you, you, how you're going to be tied to these brands is how they react to you. Do they understand you? Um, you know, a lot of it's just old-fashioned, you know, just, you know, uh, be nice, <laughs> you know, treat somebody <laughs> with respect. Yeah. Um, that stuff will never change, right? But there, there's also, like, you know, what if they knew more about you? Like, when you're on the phone, it's like, hey, I know you've, you've done X, Y, and Z, or, like, I, I see that you told us this before. And so – before a lot of what was was happening was is that they were creating these very specialized databases to do this and you know you would see back to the like the old you know stories like i always remember the one from target that apparently they were able to predict that um this teenage girl was having a baby because of her purchases and her dad didn't know and he got very <laughs> mad about that um but but you know and that was like in that early stage but the problem was that was very there was very lagging and and the reality now is that this is a hyper-competitive space, just like you've been kind of pointing at, is, you know, now things change in minutes and hours. You can lose a customer in seconds. So you have to do it really fast. So with a lot of this, you don't have the time to go back and think through all the implications of your, your data strategy. So a lot of times what's happening is even newer companies that are kind of born in this age, uh, you know, including like, you know, Sumologic Grandmat, you know, you, you – you may have thought something was a good idea a little while ago, and then you know now things have changed. So you need to be able to adjust very rapidly. And I think that's how analytics has has changed. It's gone from, okay, let me put some thought into this, let me create this you know big fancy database and work through all the options and think about it, and, you know, and I'm willing to wait a week for results to serve my customer. Now, it's like you know what, my developers are going to shovel this stuff as fast as they can. They're going to get it out there. And I need to be able to change my mind about the questions I want to ask and have answered as I'm going along. And that's one of the reasons why, 
you're seeing some of these techniques that um, were prevalent, you know, on the IT and security side around, you know, log analytics and these kind of more unstructured data analytics is what it really is, those coming into prominence because all those tools that, you know, allowed you to kind of ask the any question you want to the data are now super valuable to um, other parts of the business. So that's 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 where that's where sometimes we we set a term here um, that we call it like the analytics economy. But what that really means is is that the companies that are succeeding right now are the ones that are able to collect, process that you know that new data oil that's being you know shooting out of the ground you know in a you know giant. <laughs> You know, guys are um, you know you respect, and they're trying to basically tap that and use it as fast as possible. And they don't have time to do, you know, fancy data tricks. They need to just get their hands around it and try to learn as they go. So to do that, you need tools that can be really, really flexible. And the and the companies that can leverage that data and build the analytics and move faster are the ones that are going to win and differentiate. The ones that spend all their time kind of spinning their wheels trying to do it you know, um, do kind of the old way, they'll end up failing or having blind spots. And then, so that your, your perfect example there with, with, with Crutchfield, I'm sure not knowing, I mean, those guys have been actually been around for a long time. You know, maybe one of the things they're doing is they're not actually, they don't have access to all that data. Like when they're dealing with you as a customer, they may be dealing with a more standard sets of data that are coming through these standard channels. They're not actually looking at your activity um, on their website and seeing that in real time. So it's, it's a very different experience when you can, um, I remember I was talking to one of our customers, and, and and he's just talking about how a customer could call in, and they could be like, oh, I had this problem. Um, it, you know, I thought you deleted this file that I uploaded to your service. Well, actually, sir, it was actually this other person on your team that deleted it. Let me um, restore that for you. That's a completely different experience, but that's only possible when you have access to that machine data, when you actually have access and you can process it really quickly and, and then give access to the people who need it when they're in front of a customer. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it bears repeating that the whole concept of these highly structured databases and like sort of workflows, and it's not even AI, right? It's just like if-then sort of statements. Um, mm -hmm. That That's not very flexible. It's, it's almost fragile. And if anything yeah. changes about the customer or their interactions or something, the system can't be updated fast enough to take advantage of that new information. Whereas something that's more of an unstructured data and, and, and a faster analysis process that uses something like real machine learning might actually be able to glean those insights faster and keep up with changing data feeds and, and changing information and, and find new patterns, right? Yeah, and you got to be able to go back and reinterpret your questions because you might, I mean, this, I've, you know, seen this, you know, now here being on the, you know, delivering a service. And, um, and I worked in product management for, for, for years here at, at Sumo Logic. And one of the things I would see, would see happen is we go into the data and we answer the question a certain way. And then we go back, you know, like, well, actually, I, I wonder, I wonder about this. And then we would go back and ask that, that different question. It might be like, you know, I just released a new product. I can see this being adopted. Well, I wonder who's adopting it. Like, we, we were even doing things like, this to give you a fun example, like we had our first user conference last year. And we, we've been analyzing, you know, how our customers use the product for a long time and kind of learning over that. And our, actually, our customer success team, 
you know, will go to customers and, and give them, you know, options about how to improve their experience of the product. And, and that's all built off of us learning how to use the machine data. But one of the things we did last year, we said, oh, well, what if we took the list of people that attended our conference and then match that against some of the activity we're seeing in the system and then see if actually attending the conference improved their experience of the product and improved their them using the product. And we were able to show conclusively that we saw them using more parts of the product, we saw them using it more often, and we could show a direct line between them, you know, going to training and going to this user conference from and then getting better experience out of the product. And and that's where it really comes together and it's really interesting because you can you take this data that is usually locked in IT and, and in security or in these like you know operational teams, you know, saying like customer uh, you know, did this um, action in the product, and then taking that and connecting that to a business outcome in a way that your marketing or your sales or your customer-facing people can understand and then use with your customers, that's where, that's where the power and the differentiation comes in. If you can do that and you can connect those dots, then you've suddenly 10x your, you know, ability to, you know, acquire and retain, you know, new customers because you can make those connections, you know. Uh, you know, like another example... Um, from uh, customers I've been uh, around for a long time, they um, I originally went in and helped them solve an operations problem. They you know, basically keep the app from crashing, you know, <laughs> this simple stuff. And then we we went in and they and I I realized and this was for um, a company called TuneIn that makes a really cool radio app. And, and went in and it turned out that they um, you know they had uh, they were able. They, they had in that same data that was used to see if the, the service was up, it was like, hey, you know, there's actually something in there about radio stations. What if I created you a dashboard with the top radio stations um, by Geo, I think is what it was. And I, and, and I didn't think much of it at the time, and I gave it to them. They was like, this is cool. But it turned out their marketing team loved it. And then the marketing team started using it and started using it on a regular basis. And then, you know, later on, the marketing team got so sophisticated from what I understand, they even would change their ad their ad buys based on how listening patterns were changing in radio stations. So in, in, in th that marketing team could not tell you high nor tell, I'm sure, about machine data and about logs. Like they don't even, they probably don't even care, but they do care about the fact that they can understand what their customers are doing and then change their marketing behavior and, you know, ad spends to actually, you know, uh, basically take advantage of a, you know, a changing, you know, uh, a changing trend in the market. That's, that's what's really, you know, super interesting. Yeah. Wow. That, that's a great example. I mean, the two things that I see as being like big challenges around this is one, how do I ingest the amount of data that's flying at me? Right. You, you call the data exhaust, right? All the stuff that's being created, whether it's oil or exhaust or whatever analogy we want to use, um, we're producing an awful lot of it. <laughs> And so there needs to be a way to ingest all of that. And then the second big thing is, how do I even begin to analyze this stuff? I mean, I feel like I need to be a data scientist or something to approach this huge heap of data. But I mean, some of the, the example you just gave was marketing people just, you know, you threw a dashboard together for them and suddenly they had insights mm -hmm. they didn't even know about and they didn't need an advanced degree. So how do we ingest all this stuff and then how do we analyze it? Well, well, on the on the first part, I mean that's part of the the beauty of the of the you know the technology that's come out of the cloud transition is that that very same set of technologies that allow you to scale quickly, you know, if you build an application in the cloud or what you know allows a service like you know Sumo Logic. I mean that's one of the things we we started in 2010, so we were able to 
take advantage of that technology, be able to, you know, rapidly scale collections. So, you know, we could have somebody, you know, we've had examples where, you know, a customer actually had 10x the response rate to a marketing campaign they did. And, um, you know, we were able to scale up, you know, really easily for them. And that's, that's a basic, you know, tenet of cloud architecture. So the, so the technology is at the point now where for um, the companies that can, you know, actually do that and take advantage of that, you, you can actually really scale very easily. The, the, the difference is, do you want, I think this is part of things, like, do you, do you want to do that internally yourself or do you want to have a, you know, service to do that? So that's kind of a question of, you know, where you want to be spending your time. But, you know, the, the, the ability to be able to effortlessly scale in Amazon, you know, scale storage and scale, you know, kind of, uh, you know, inputs and outputs is, you know, we've been able to use as a service to the scale from the collection side. So a lot of it's just about providing as many inputs as absolutely possible, allowing people to basically throw stuff at, you know, throw stuff at some sort of, you know, input point and just don't worry about how it's getting there. Just shovel it as fast as you can. Don't worry about, you know, getting everything perfect. And right. then you can process it later, and that's the key. And then once you got in the product, to, you, to your point, and, and to me, that's honestly the, the most fascinating thing going on right now is that we've had a lot of, um, we've had a lot of technological innovations around scaling, like what I just talked about, is being able to scale, you know, over, you know, um, local regions and even internationally, you know, in, with a, you know, snap of the fingers. I mean, that's pretty amazing, but that's, that's kind of the... That's just stated. That's just basically the state of the landscape now. That's just expected. That's table stakes. Now, what's interesting is that, okay, so you you think about that marketing team and the story I just told her. Here we have our customer success team, our sales team. The, you know, they desperately want access to this data because you know they can see how valuable it's going to be. But the problem is that they're they're not experts. So you, so you kind of have a couple different things going on. I I think that are really interesting. One one you have this transition in the data science field because you know typically in the past you had these data scientists there, you know we have some here. They're you know, ones here some of the smartest people I've ever met, you know PhDs in computer science or you know, something related, and they can go out and build these incredibly complicated models. But they're very hard to find and they will continue to be hard to find. Uh, it's uh, you know not everybody's going to go get a PhD in computer science. So. Um, you may have a small number of those, but most companies may not be able to afford or may not be able to build a data science team. So now, now you have these other roles that are emerging, like data engineer and data analyst that are, well, it's kind of the same thing that's happened with computer science in general. You've gone from having, you know, highly, you know, educated specialists to people that are more generalists that can come in and actually make it, you know, practical. So I think you're seeing these new roles and organizations are able to take advantage of it. And then you're also seeing that the uh, these traditional teams that own the data, so maybe it's your IT teams or your operations team or your security team, they own this data. They're, they now have an opportunity to actually act as a data broker. And so they can either make the mistake of saying, hey, we don't want to share this data. We're going to make it really hard for you. And then, you know, honestly, like different parts of the business are going to be like, you know, honestly, screw you. We're going to go do it ourselves. And then now you've got this fragmentation. Or they have the opportunity now to say, hey, we are going to act as a subject matter expert in how you do analytics. We'll, we'll basically run this as a service, and then we will create, you know, easy-to-consume things for you to use. So we'll, we'll create, you know, 
form drop downs instead of writing complicated query <laughs> language or we'll 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 give you a you know dashboard with you know pretty pictures on it with like you know easy to understand analytics so i think that's the fascinating thing you're seeing right now this is not about every single function in the company going and hiring data scientists and it's not even necessarily about building a data science team it's about basically building uh, specialities and building, uh, you know, areas of expertise within the traditional kind of technical areas of a company and inside of these, you know, IT-oriented functions, operations-oriented functions, and saying, okay, we're now going to empower marketing, product management, engineering, all these different groups with access to this data, give it to them in a way they can consume in real time, and then work with them to you know, to basically, and, and, and potentially even like, you know, send it different places. So like the data scientists are going to want to go play in their Jupyter notebooks and their, and do their fancy <laughs> models. And the you know, marketing team wants to put a big dashboard on the wall. You sure. know, that's fine. So I, I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the innovation, I think, in the next, you know, three, four, five years is how do you, how do you enable these teams without them having to be experts? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. I think, it's going to be tricky at first, and there's going to be a lot of sort of kludgy interfaces, but it sounds like um, the example that you gave with being able to set up that marketing dashboard within Sumo Logic, is that, was that a native thing within Sumo Logic that you set up, or is that like a third-party thing for the dashboard? No, no, and I mean, no, that's, that's, a, that's a native thing. So, I mean, that, and that's a lot of what we've been doing at Sumo Logic in the, in the last year or so is that we, in particular, is that we've been trying to make it easier to enable other parts of your company. So, you know, we made it easier to share dashboards and easier to um, collaboratively build content. We made it easier to, um, you know, provide just a URL. Like if your CEO wants access, and we have actually, believe it or not, we have a lot of CEOs, CTOs, um, CIOs that actually look at dashboards off of the nerdy machine data all the time. <laughs> uh, you know, Samsung SmartThings, one of our customers, one of, I think, fantastic use cases. They say that 95% of their employees either directly or indirectly look at machine data. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, but they don't, they don't log in and, like, you know, run a query most of the time. They're looking at a dashboard or they're, like, consuming a report or something like that. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a big part of that transition. And the other piece that we did more recently is how you can create kind of customized interfaces for people. So we, we created something called um, search templates, but really the idea is is that you can have an expert um, that could go in and say, okay, uh, you know, the our customer support team um, is on the phone with the customer. What do they need to know? Um, you know, what, are they, what, can they, what do they need to know from the customer? Well, they need to know username. And, they need to know time frame, and they need to know uh, maybe the product they're using or something like that. So what you do is you make those drop-downs, you know, pre-filled drop-downs inside of a form, and then the customer support agent goes in and picks the drop-down and, you know, clicks go, and then suddenly sees a nice report saying, oh, well, the customer did these five things. Okay, now I can help you. And so I think that's, um, that, and that's where we're spending a lot of time there, too. And then you have these, like, other use cases where we just announced integration with you know Jupyter Notebooks, which was that was top of mind. But Ooh. you know, a yeah. lot of a lot of companies are going to want to you know data scientists want to do it their way. They want to go yeah. they're going to go build their data models. They're going to build their machine learning models, and they're going to go, and that's totally fine. So the benefit they get from an analytics platform is they don't have to worry about collecting the data. They don't have to worry about processing and forming and sculpting the data. All they have they basically just connect to an API, pull it out, and then they use that data in their, you know, combined with other data sources they're getting, 
and go build a really cool model. But they don't have to worry about all of those, you know, more, you know, kind of painful functions of actually collecting and processing the data. And they can worry just about building their models and delivering value to the business. Right, yeah. Uh, so uh, at AnexNet, we have a machine learning task force. Uh, they call themselves Project Malta, which is uh, fun. And they do a whole demo around Jupyter Notebooks and using, um, I think, SageMaker and AWS to do mm-hmm. some, some interesting analytics. Uh, I'd, and I'd never seen Jupyter Notebooks before uh, that um, demonstration. And I was like, wow, that is really cool technology to be able to write sort of code in line, but it's very interactive and friendly, at least you know, yeah. f- friendly on a tech level. <laughs> um the, the information that he was able to pull out and process in, in very short order was really cool. So uh, so Sumo Logic is also doing an integration with Jupyter Notebooks that would allow, Yeah, I guess, what's the use yeah, case yeah. Or, or an example of, of a cool thing that's been done with that? Well, well I think that's, just, that's what's kind of emerging now because, you know, typically, um, you know, a company like ours, our traditional core base of users were in, in – uh, IT operations, you know, DevOps, um, developers, engineering, and security, you know, those type of functions. And so we're just seeing more demand from our own customers to um, to do, you know, their data scientist functions. I've had multiple conversations a lot more recently to, just about data scientists being like, hey, I really have a hard time finding the data I need. Where do I go now? Okay, why? Well, it looks like there's some really cool data over there, but I don't know how to get to it. So hmm. there's there's a lot of that kind of processing. And typically in the past, it would be like, let me put it into a business intelligence or a BI tool. And I don't think that's where what's going on now. Is that this is this is a way for these uh, data scientists to get access to another data source. And that's kind of the key now. It's all about open platforms. So it's it's not about being proprietary and trying to force people to do things your way. It's about providing an open and, you know, uh, an open API kind of framework where people can kind of get to the data they need when they, when they need it. And then, you know, one of the things that was pushing is because our own data scientists were, were building, you know, they use Jupyter Notebooks. They, you know, they use Apache Zeppelin. They use these different tools to um, build their own models. And so, what has changed in the last couple of years, and this this is like this whole kind of you know revolution that's going on. It's not about building a closed garden where people kind of come onto your platform and they kind of have to do things your way. It's about providing ways for them to access and process the data in the way that makes most sense to them. So you know our machine learning team is you know, uh, you know doing we we produce a report every year that's actually you know built using these tools. I mean we we extract it and. Um, build it using these type of tools and, and then we build this nice glossy report or we will do internal analysis to see who our users are like we were able to show that you know like what I'm just saying about different parts of the company adopting the technology where we were able to show that and do the analysis hmm. and so we're using it to better understand our own customers and that's and that's again that comes back to the whole the whole discussion of why I think the customer experience thing is so important here is that like a lot of times these data scientists are the ones that are actually building the models to better understand customer behavior. But the problem is, is that they, they don't have access to enough data to do good predictions. And so machine data is now this new gold mine of uh, data for them to, you know, tap into that they may not have had access to. And then they can add that to the data sources they already know and love and, and get a better picture of what's going on. Wow, yeah, and I love the idea of sort of democratizing the analytics platform. So you do have your yeah. deep data scientists that want to do machine learning and all that, uh, but they don't always have, like, the full picture of what's actually important. 
um, to the company. And so it's great that marketing folks and, and the CMO or the CIO uh, would be able to go and say, well, uh, that's interesting data scientists, but what would actually move the needle would be if you could give us more information about this and, oh, maybe I could sort of drive some of that myself in a dashboard. Um, that is, I think, where you know you can see some leaps in the customer experience is when you've got the collective knowledge of the entire organization and not just one data scientist in ivory tower pecking away with a Jupyter notebook. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly it. I mean, when you can have a sales rep, and I've seen this happen, go to a customer and say, hey, you know, it looks like a couple of your, you know, some of your users are, are struggling and not getting great performance out of it. How about you tell them, you know, how about we send you to training? We give you free training and help you guys be more productive. Like that kind of connection is is the kind of thing that, you know, keeps customers coming back to you and, and, and being able to make those provide put that information at the fingertips of the people who actually talk to customers every day which frankly is not engineers it's not data scientists it's the it's the the sales people the marketing people the you know, product people the you know sales engineers the you know people like that and they in giving them access to this is 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 revolutionizes the way that you you know can handle your customers and you know improve your customer experience wow well i think that is a great note to wrap up on um Ben, if people want to know more about you, what you're up to, what more information about Sumo Logic and all of this uh, customer experience stuff, is there somewhere they can go uh, to download information or follow you? Absolutely. So, um, you know, for one, on the customer experience thing, a lot of this came out. We, we actually commissioned a report um, from 451 Research this summer. So definitely go check that on SumoLogic.com. You can find that in our resource center. Um, and it's, it's, it's basically called, you know, improving customer experience in the analytics economy. So it's, it's, it's definitely exactly what we talked about. Uh, if, um, and you can see more about us at sumologic.com. And I would definitely suggest, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, on, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn, you know, uh, on Twitter on B-E-N-O-I-T Newton, Benoit Newton. So definitely check me out there. And, and the great thing is I love podcasts because I have my own podcast. So you, know, <laughs> you can check out at mastersofdata.com. Um, we, we talk about this stuff all the time, so I would love uh, anybody who wants to check that out, um, come check us out at mastersofdata.com. Great. I will make sure to include links to that in the show notes. Last question. I like to ask this for everybody. What is your favorite 80s movie? <laughs> that is easy. It's The Goonies. <laughs> no Great. contest. Great choice. All right. Well, Ben Newton, thank you so much for being on the next spot. Thank you for having me.